Hey podcast listeners, Patrick here. Just a reminder that tickets to BroadwayCon 2017, presented by Mischief Management and Playbill, are now on sale. And we are less than 100 days away. You can find information and tickets at broadwaycon.com. Also, we're still accepting submissions for our BroadwayCon The Podcast live show, which we'll be taping from the main stage at BroadwayCon. We're calling the show Fandemonium, and it's all about celebrating the relationships between fans and their heroes in the Broadway community. If there's someone in the Broadway community whose work has been really special to you, or to whom you feel a special connection, make a 90-second video about it and post it to our Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr pages, and you might be invited to take part in this very special event. Don't forget to use the hashtag BroadwayConPodcast and tell us who you are, where you're coming from, and why you're coming to BroadwayCon. One last bit of news. Just last week, we added Alice Ripley, Joel Gray, Jefferson Mays, Michael Cerverus, and Judy Kuhn to the roster of guests attending BroadwayCon. And we announced that the cast of Anastasia will be there to preview the show. It's so exciting. Okay, now to the show. I know a place where you belong. Come follow me. And join the song. Welcome to Broadway Con! The podcast. The show for the theater kid in all of us. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, seriously, you're going to smile so hard for the next 30 minutes that you're going to have a headache. Today's guest, Montego Glover, just emanates positivity. She's the definition of charming, and I really think that if every human got to spend 30 minutes in a soundproof room with her, like I got to for this interview, all war and human suffering would immediately end. I know you think I'm exaggerating, but just wait until you hear this interview. Montego made her Broadway debut in 2005 as an understudy in The Color Purple, before eventually taking over the lead role of Celie. She went on to originate the role of Felicia in 2009's Memphis, for which she earned her first Tony nomination. She next originated the role of Annie Shepard in last year's It Should Have Been You, which I was completely obsessed with, and she was most recently seen on Broadway as Fantine in Les Mis. Last season, of course, she earned rave reviews and a Drama Desk Award for her work in Lincoln Center's The Royale. She is divine. And here she is. Hi, Montego Glover. Good. It's so nice to see you again. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Welcome to BroadwayCon, the podcast. Woo-hoo, BroadwayCon. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, so here's the, the the way we do BroadwayCon, the podcast, is like different than the other podcasts. So we, like in the intro, give this big introduction about all the amazing things you've done and all the awards you've been nominated oh for, my. and then we don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Our MO here is to find out, like, about you as a theater person, as like what you were like as a kid in the theater yeah. and just growing up and like how you got to be so successful, like where you come from. Okay. Does that sound good? That sounds amazing. It's awesome. Um, okay. So the, my, well, my first question is, where are you from? I'm from Tennessee. I was born in Macon, Georgia and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I call Chattanooga home. You call Chattanooga home? I do. Um, and... I'm, I was thinking about this today because I don't know you well, but I've gotten to interview you a couple times. <laughs> Were you the kind of person that they would have described as like a theatrical child? Uh, you know what? I'm sure my mother would say that. Very theatrical. I, I do recall a couple of situations where I was singing like at the top of my lungs in the house and my mom would say, Montego, Montego, <laughs> enough, enough. You know, that, that like call it down tone. Totally. That tone it down tone. Um, but yeah, always, always like making up songs or acting out bits or watching things. 
things. I loved movie musicals, always watching, and uh, always watching uh, public television too, uh, plays and symphonics and orchestrals on TV. Really fascinating stuff for me. That, that's one of my favorite questions about this podcast. Is like, you know, everybody has, like for me, oh God, this is so gay. For me, it was like the Tommy <laughs> cast recording that I would just like listen to on repeat over and over and over again. I mean, yes. What was it for you? Like, what were the things when you look back, you're like, those are the things I... I had to have where these are the things I discovered that I didn't know I loved. Yes, I remember the first time I saw this is this is so interesting. Uh, seven Brides for Seven Brothers is one of our like house favorites. Um, that movie musical, I was like, who is this Shirley Jones and what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like wow, you know, um, look at all the dancing, look at all the singing, <laughs> look at all the wonderful, you know, double entendre and you know the <laughs> cleverness of the language. I was so into it. Offer your arms when you've got her alone. Steal your arm around her. You gotta court a girl to get her. You gotta call her my darling. My dear, my precious, my pet. Go and court, go and court. Oh, it sets your senses in a whirl. And I found it so hugely entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, very accessible, but also just so otherworldly. Uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, um, West Side Story, the film was like, wow. Like, it was so innovative. And then there was, like, The Wiz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it was like, just keep it coming, Nipsey Russell. Michael, <laughs> tell me all about it. Like, it was just so fantastic. Like, I found, so uh, while I was watching all of these things, I was also... Uh, noting at the time how varied they were, you know, just um, anything from musicals about traveling through time to, you know, growing up on a farm. I was just so interested in all of it. How, what was your major outlet when you were, like, younger for seeing theater? Was it, like, on, like, Turner Classic Movies? Or, like, did you go to the theater a lot when you were a kid? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, watching things on television, of course. Again, I'll mention it again, PBS, really outstanding. And then um, going to the theater. Um, being invited to go, like, to the children's theater when I was small or to the ballet on, like, Kids Day or something like that. I recall those experiences. And then as I got to be in, like, middle school, junior high, high school, trips to the theater as part of our class curriculum and then I started to study acting at 12 and that was definitely part of um, the experience. The acting experience was as much about learning the craft, observing the craft and then experiencing it as well and in Chattanooga the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga has a theater program and I remember my teacher taking us to like the college theater and having us watch people who, to us at the time at 12, seemed so old. These 20-year-olds, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, up there working. But it was really exciting to see, to see like, younger people, too, um, doing work in the theater. So it was kind of all of those things. Do you have – is there, like, a, a moment you can look back on that you realized that, like, theater had, in that moment, gone from something that you just thought was so fun and cool that you liked to watch that, like, all of a sudden you knew you had to do it? Yeah. Yeah, Will you tell I was. Us? Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, I was doing a play in uh, high school. Um, and I had the great privilege of studying in a really amazing program, this incredible teacher, Stella Duffy, who um, just infused her students with all of this incredible knowledge, both very specific about the craft of acting, but also very like heavy on scholarship and reading um, and really studying, both in the practical sense and in the learned like book sense, you know? Uh -huh. And we took something like, I think it might have been, 
Beauty and the Beast or something, and we took the novel, took the story, and pulled it apart and made it this wonderful abstract thing, which, of course, to a group of, like, you know, theater geeks, it was like, wow, <laughs> we are reinventing the wheel here, you know, in so many ways. But I remember working so hard. We, we performed in the piece. We helped develop the piece, our interpretation of it. We worked on the choreography together. We helped design costumes and the makeup. Like, as a group of students, there were probably 12 or 15 of us, um, it was wonderfully immersive and very collaborative and touched on all areas for all the students. So you, you couldn't get away with just going, I want to just sing a song in the thing. You uh -huh. had to participate in all of the different areas, which is really, really grounding and very useful. I'm so glad I was trained that way. Meaning um, like the dance, the acting, and the singing. Yeah, like you, you really had to participate in all areas. We helped build the set. We helped load it in. We helped, you know what I mean, put it together. That kind of thing it was really great. and kept us very busy and involved in all aspects of the project. And so finally, finally, after all of this wonderful work, weeks and weeks after school, plugging away, getting it done, um, and loving it, working yeah. so hard, and absolutely loving it, um, we get to our, you know, two or three performances of, you know, Beauty and the Beast <laughs> yes. for the faculty and for the students. <laughs> and everything in the big, you know, theater at school. And we were so proud of it and so excited by it. And I remember at Bows on our little opening at Bows, like holding the hands of my company members and looking out at like the faculty and the staff and the other students and parents and so on and so forth and supporters and just seeing them like clapping and supporting us and happy for us, yeah. no matter what the thing looked like or sounded like. It wasn't that, that wasn't the most important thing. Totally. These kids were up there really, really giving everything they had. And I remember standing there with my company members and looking out and we had taken a bow and on the upsweep I remember standing there and hearing the applause and holding my friends hands and thinking I absolutely love this I want to do this every day every day you make me cry do you, does it still it? feel that way to you now yes really yeah have you ever now as a professional so successful have you ever be honest have you ever <laughs> caught yourself just for a moment not not being present like has it ever become just like a job for you wow wow I want to say in the many years I have been working that there has to have been one instance where you know you left the room and came back and the, you were standing on the stage and the play was still happening <laughs> yeah, totally um but I am I have always been so frankly like afraid of the theater gods <laughs> to like go away from the play as it's happening because that's how you get hurt. That's how you hurt someone else. That's how the train leaves the station and you're not on it. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. I'm trying to think of an instance. I'm going to keep working on that one. <laughs> and if it pops into my brain, I'm going to blurt it out in this, this here sit down. Another non sequitur question. Yeah, totally. But like when, as soon as I talked to your manager, Lisa, about booking yes. this, I just got so excited because there, you have this just, you have this incredible positivity. <laughs> is that something that you were like born with? Or is that like, is, do people tell you that all the time? <laughs> <laughs> you're just like you're just being around you is like a cup of coffee like you're just like it's invigorating where does that come from how do you maintain it do you ever have a bad day thank you thank you thank you and yes I do occasionally have a bad day more than occasionally probably if I'm being honest um yes thank you that's really amazing of you to say it really is and anytime I talk um, to anybody who knows you they're like oh my god Montego Glover like just like you're just the happiest and you're just like the kind I just love you so much. <laughs> I love you. 
you. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would like to I would like to think I was born with a measure of that. I would like to think. Um I think some of it honestly has to do with you know growing up in a home where I was seen and heard and loved. Oh, that's um, so that's so well said. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just slept out for Covenant House for the oh, first time did? this year. Yeah. And spending an evening at the house and getting to meet some of these young men and women. Will you talk a little bit about what that is? Because people course, might not know. Of course. So the sleep out, the Broadway sleep out is um, put together and sponsored by the Covenant House, which is right here in New York City. And it's an entire like house, a building with floors, 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 eight, ten floors in this building designed to find, um, bring young men and women, ages like 14, I think, to about 20, um, to bring them into this place. They are homeless. They have either left home, run from home, been put out of their homes um, by parents, guardians, other family members for a number of equally harrowing reasons. And horrifying. Horrifying, upsetting yeah. things. Um, and are homeless and living on the street. People think of homelessness and they think of older people, like adults further along, you know, chronologically. But these are young men and women who should be in high school, who should be in middle school, who should be in college, right. who are living on the streets in New York City. Um, Covenant House has houses all around the country in the world um, and in Latin America as well. And they bring these these kids in and it's not a place where you, it's not a shelter where you come in and they, you know, look you over and, you know, get a shower and a toothbrush and then the next morning they pat you on the back and send you out the door. It is a fully recognized, fully um, uh, thought out program that brings these young men and women in, diagnoses the problem. They have full medical staff, um, counselors, um, uh, advisors to help the kids. They do job placement. They can actually house uh, kids at Covenant House so they can sleep there and live there mm -hmm. so that they really sort of shift the paradigm and rework these children from the ground up and then so for some of them, a year, 18 months, uh, you know, a year and a half later, they are released into the world. And then they get help from Covenant House on how to get that job, how to find a place to, li to live, yeah. and how to support themselves. It is an absolutely extraordinary program. Yeah. And, extraordinary and People like you, like celebrities, sleep out once a year. So, yes, once a year. And they've been doing it for about five years now. I think maybe a little bit more, but right at five-year mark. Um a couple of women who are on the board uh, of the Covenant House, uh, Kapathia Jenkins, Audra McDonald, are two of them, um, had this idea. What if, at Stephanie J. Block, what if we call some of our friends, and all these women are friends of mine, <laughs> and I adore them all, what if we call some of our friends and ask them to join us in this really incredible cause, this necessary work, and do what these kids have done many, 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 many nights, and some of them years, um, to show our support and yeah. to raise money. And so they put out the calls and you know how the Broadway is. Yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. We the call, we come yeah. running, you know? Totally. And so we show up and we sleep out on the sidewalk to show our support and to raise money to benefit every single dime of it goes to Covenant House. So amazing. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, just to shift gears a little bit back to like acting in your trajectory. Yeah. So you had like great training in your youth and I know you went to Florida State for your- That's right. right? Did you ever think about not doing that? Cause did you go to a performing arts high school? I didn't. I went to a magnet school. Okay. Um, that that you know the Chattanooga School for the Arts and Sciences. So it had an absolute commitment to science, to art, to liberal and broad base, but also really um, focused education. It's actually based on Socratic method, oh, uh, the work of Socrates. Yeah. Yes, Paideia proposal. And so basically, it says, uh, like the philosopher himself, believed that people learned 
best in a combination of three ways. And that is um, seminar, which is group discussion. Mm -hmm. That is didactic, which is you sit, someone talks, you take notes. That Uh is a skill. It's very, very important. And number three, coaching, one-on-one. And if you put those things together as a basis, you can educate just about any person. And it works. Wow. And so did you also at the same time take like like uh, acting and musical theater lessons yes. independently? They were part of the school's curriculum. Oh, really? So I got to choose a concentration and mine was theater. Mine was acting. Oh, my so, goodness. I know. <laughs> the luckiest girl. So I talk about positive energy. Yeah. I literally was raised in that kind of sort of utopian educational society. And of course, as a kid, I loved school. I yeah. still do. I spent almost all my time there. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it's sort of written into my DNA at this point. What were your parents like? <laughs> what did they do? They're lovely, sweet people. Are they still with us? They are still with oh, us. I'm yay. super lucky. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my mother um, is, is a, is a smart, clever, like, doer. She gets it done. Like, if you need, you know, A to B and C to D yep. and D to E, she's the one. Angela oh. Glover's the one to talk to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's also like, you know, like uh, uh, was raised in the, we are Southerners. So she's raised in the Southern tradition. And so it was very, um, I'm so grateful to her for giving me a, a sense of like ladiness, uh-huh. for teaching me how to be a lady, mm-hmm. but also um, being a, a person who put down rules and um, discipline in our home and a sense of order in our home, really important. And you don't realize you're getting these lessons until you move away from home. Of you know course. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, now what do I do? You're living in 400 square feet in your city. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, so is it gonna, like a tornado came through every day right, or am I exactly. going to really try to make sense of my space so I can actually get something done? Right, right. You know what I mean? Um, tons of humor, like always laughing, um, but could really lay down the law if she needed to. And I appreciate that. You learn the balance in a person um, by having that kind of person as a parent and also really attentive and dedicated parents. I feel like my parents put the best of themselves into raising their children. Um, My father um, is tall. He played high school basketball and went to school on college basketball scholarship, which is how I came to be raised in Tennessee. My parents are both from Macon. I was born there, but my father is a student. And so off they went to Chattanooga so my dad could play uh, basketball. Could play basketball. It's a point guard. Very talented. That's incredible. Fast, fast hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. Good looking, charismatic, you know what I mean? Yeah, like oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. Guy. I'm sure. <laughs> do you have brothers and sisters? I do, I do. Are they in the arts? Um, I have a sister who works as a dancer. She works for Norwegian. She's amazing. And she's now singing and, and dancing for them. She's incredible. Wow. Um, my youngest sister um, got a degree in visual art. Wow. So she's great. And my middle sister, who I just mentioned, who works for Norwegian, actually has a degree in advertising. But she has this incredible talent, you know, to do to do <laughs> the other. Incredible. So she gets to do anything she wants, basically. Um, and then uh, uh, I have a, another sister who's a mom. Oh, I just love it. doing that. You know, that's all I wanted to do with my life was just be a mom. <laughs> I have like a two and a half year old daughter, but daddy has to work to pay the bills. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about your early years in New York City. Yeah. Um, because you have this like one really interesting claim to fame. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. You don't? tell me. I don't know. So I first met you forever ago when yes. we went to Martha Plimpton's AS4 event and yes. we sat together. Yes. And yes. remember this? Yes, and you remember who course. was at the table next to us? That was not our first meeting. Um, table next to us? Yes. Wait a minute. Do you know the story I'm talking about now? No, tell it anyway. Okay, who was your first roommate in New York City? Jesse Tyler Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> will you tell, will you just, I mean, how did that happen? So great. I love New York City and I love the community of actors in New York because honestly, this is just how it rolls out. Um, I moved to New York. I found a, a great apartment in Brooklyn. 
and I had been cast in the Pirates of Penzance that literally happened on the moored ship Peking in Lower Manhattan. Oh my goodness, like, really? A story about pirates on a pirate ship. <laughs> is that the <laughs> one that was at like South Street Seaport? Yes, the oh, Peking. I we love did it that. on the deck, which is insane. So I was playing Mabel, and my friend Colin was playing Frederick. Well, Colin um, Hanlon. I know Colin <laughs> Hanlon. Wait, his, my one of my first roommates in New York is his best friend. Oh my goodness me! Okay, that's see? so funny. Th- this is what I mean by the community yeah. of like actors and like theater people in so, New York yeah, City. So, so funny. I was looking for another roommate, and my roommate was moving to Manhattan. And so I was looking for a new new roommate, and Colin said to me, "My friend Jesse is looking too. So maybe I should like introduce you to." I met Jesse, and I'm not even kidding, within four seconds, I was laughing hysterically, <laughs> madly in love, yes. and was like, yeah, when can you move in? Because you're everything. And that literally is the beginning of our like wonderful time together. That is, where was he in his career at that point? Um, he was he doing was, Spelling Bee? He was before Spelling Bee, but he was actually, they were developing, and they had started some bits and pieces, bits and pieces. So by the time we reached the first maybe year that we were working together, they were already on their way to Barrington stage, that kind of wow. thing. Wow. They were starting the process. For sure, yeah. And one of the things I love about your career is that you spent a like you just worked like your your <laughs> ethic was like I'm just gonna work if it's in New York great if it's elsewhere great. Well, how did you come to that decision of like I'm just gonna go work? Well, you know something, you know that phrase like work begats work. Yes. There's something about being a body that stays in motion, and I don't mean motion for motion's sake because that in and of itself can be very problematic. Mm-hmm. But there's something about staying in motion. Excuse me. That I think supports the idea of furthering your experience, furthering your career. And of course, you know, the fine line is knowing when to say no or when you have to make a decision, being able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I have always I was taught that way. Don't be afraid to do the work. Nothing poor ever comes of of not doing the work. You know? Yeah. And so I have always chosen that. And when I first moved to the city, I was very interested in playing a variety of roles. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to cut my teeth, as it were, in the in the way of like leading lady. Mm -hmm. And so when I got an offer to play Aida, the answer had to be yes. Of course. And it didn't matter that it wasn't in New York. That wasn't the point. Yeah. Do you know? Uh And and once you gain the experience of one, being able to carry a show, two, being able to lead a company, three, being responsible for your role in the business, if I can call it that, both um, of the art, then I, I think the word spreads. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And so someone can say, just like in, in regular old business, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. If you've if you've put in your time as a, you know, as a an intern or, you know, an apprentice or whatever, here there, here there, here there, the word spreads and people go, Yes, this young man, this young woman has spent the time and we sh- we can confidently give them a shot at, you know, Sarah in Guys and Dolls. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's just that's what I mean. Did you have to make the decision at some point to not to to like focus your energy on working in New York? And just like that, like I said before, <laughs> Before, there comes a time to say no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now I have to say no because, you know. Because you're Montego Glover. <laughs> but, you know, I moved to the city and for the first five years. You know what I mean? I was working, working, working constantly just yeah. like that. And I loved it. It gave me everything I asked for. Um, and then there came a point where I said, it's now time to stay home. But that didn't mean necessarily giving up work. It just meant looking for the work now. Yeah. That I felt I was ready to take on you know in this space. Can I ask you something about a job you did recently? Please. And I 
I want to ask this the right way. Okay. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the last year about race on Broadway. Yeah. Right. I mean, there and a lot has changed. I think. Yes. I don't. I don't know what you think. Yeah. But you just played Fontaine on Broadway. I did. So, <laughs> no, like when they cast you as Fontaine, I was like, oh my god, that's a per- that's a perfect casting. Of course. Did you? Is how do I? What's the right way to ask the question? Like when you were a young actor, when you were a young person. Yeah. Did the idea of a black woman playing Fontaine was that something that seemed possible to you then can i just say it it wasn't even about that a person of color would play any role it was like could can you get into the life of that young woman yeah are yeah. you as an actor capable of getting there it had nothing to do with race nothing i've ever done really has had anything to do with right. race it just so happens that like if you if you're going in casting range one of the things the many things on a list if you're talking about me is that Montego Glover is African American. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. So no, and when I talked about in so many you know interviews and, and talks about um, playing Fontaine, you know, people said, "Do you realize you know that you're the only you know the second woman in the history of the Broadway companies to play this role?" And I said, "No, I did not." But I'm thrilled about that. Like everyone else, when I was introduced, for example, to Late Miss Rob, it was like this incredible, and still is, this incredible body of work. Yeah. And I worshipped it like everyone else yeah, yeah. because it's incredible. It never occurred to me that I would play any of the roles, not because I didn't think there was space for an African American. It's just, was I really able to honor that work and and support it in the way that it deserved to be supported? Do you Do you think the industry felt the same way? I have to believe that's true, yes. Always or just more recently? I think it's always been there. Just like racism has always been there, even yeah. when we thought it's not. Yep. Even when we were thinking like it's gone away, mm-hmm. it's always been there. And the converse is true. Yeah. So, yes, it's always been there. It's just a matter of the ebb and the flow, what's really being written, what's really being produced, and what people understand. Like, you, you don't ever forget about your audiences. I don't say that they drive everything, because there's certainly pieces of work that have been put up that, at the time, audiences didn't know they really wanted it. Right. Until, yeah. until it landed, and you're like, I can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I felt yeah. that way about it should have been you. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> how much fun! How I, much fun! You know that I saw the show like three times and Thank I literally you. sobbed through the whole thing. I t- wasn't it just the most dear? Yes, yes, which it a was. Fun evening in the theater that was really, honestly, heartwarming and precious. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. And I and I mean, and it stands out to me as like that <sighs> thing of like I just love, I just loved it so much. And I saw David Hyde Pierce on the train once, yes. and I I don't generally like talk to famous people because sure. that's weird. And we're New Yorkers. We don't <laughs> I do said, that. Exactly, we're New you Yorkers. Know, yeah. So I didn't. I didn't say anything to him, but I had an interview with Sarah Bogus the next day. Yes. And I was like, I saw David Hyde Pierce and I really wanted to talk to him about it. It should have been you. And she was like, took me by the shirt and was like, you need to. The next time you see him, you tell him that you loved that show. I know. It's true. I'll agree with Sarah. Absolutely. Yeah. Next time you see him, just tell him that you really loved it. He would love to hear that from you. Um, so what's happening now? What's going on with you? Oh my goodness me. Um, <laughs> I am <laughs> I am getting ready for a uh, first run, a first full production of a new musical called Suzatska. 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 What a beautiful name. It's kind of interesting and exciting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We're, we're loving it. Um, Suzatska, it's uh, going to go up in Toronto at the Elgin Winter Garden Theater. Um, and it is a tremendous new musical, really beautiful. Um, Richard Maltby Jr. is writing the lyrics. David Shire has the music. Yes. Um, Graziella Danielle has the choreography. Wow. I know. Um, Howell Binkley is lighting. Paul Taswell's got costumes. What's it about? It is um, about a young man who is uh, a brilliant musician. 
He comes to study with a woman who is world renowned. Um, she wants to further his career and his education as a musician, which means she wants to consume him. Do you know, as a teacher, yeah, she wants yeah. all of his time and attention. However, this young man is South African and his mother is South African <laughs> and she is an activist and they have come a long way to be in London in 1980s, early 1980s. And so it is about this piano teacher, this, mu this musician and this mother really standing off for the health, the soul, the welfare of this young man. And who do you play? The mother. Ooh. <laughs> I would have said piano teacher for sure. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes, yes, oh, yes. Oh, my. I play the mother. Victoria Clark plays uh, the piano teacher. I know. Oh, I know. my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Every day in rehearsal. Like, yep, this is my life. I'm uh, super excited right now. Is she a goddess? She is a goddess in every, every, every sense of the word. Yeah. Yes. I wow. absolutely adore her. I have always adored her we've been friends for years we've always wanted to work together and now we do and the piece is just beautiful um Lebowem is is also on board to write and arrange for the piece and so wow. if you've heard of a little show called the lion king yeah. you have a sense <laughs> of what it is he does so well uh. um it is tremendous it's tremendous and so we are um very excited to to work on it and to to continue work on it yeah um yeah, that, so that's what's on the plate right away. I have a ton of concert dates that are coming up. Oh, great. Um, I debuted a new uh, program with Stephen Reinecke and the New York Pops uh, November last year called Sophisticated Ladies. It's a great yes. evening of jazz uh, in the Pops Forum. Um, and so I have many, many dates. What, what, where, what is it exactly? It's a jazz show with yes, the... Yes, it honors Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Dinah Washington, Sarah Vaughn, and myself and two other vocalists. In this case, it's Capathia Jenkins, who I love. Yes. And Miss Cy Smith. And uh, we get together and just, you know, yeah, just deliver some really gorgeous arrangements with full pops orchestra. I mean, honestly, with full orchestra, beautiful arrangements of this great jazz music. It's great. It's a great evening. Where can people find out the information? Um, you can always go to the pops website, okay, um, and find out where it happens next. Um, but I've got a number of dates through next year and into 2018 already. Amazing um, for that particular program. I had to have another one, another symphonic as well for Sinatra that I love to do. So that's happening. Um, yeah. And then we talked about this for just a second before we started, but you're going to try to make it to Broadway Con. We don't know for sure yes, if you're going to be yes. there. Yes, This is looking good. It's looking very, very good. And okay. so we're just trying to make sure that everything lines up, you know, between getting ready for the next um, phase of Suzatska and all these concert dates. Yep. I still have commercial work and commercial clients that I work with that I have to go into the studio for, so on and so forth. So just trying to make sure all the chess pieces fit together. You are in demand. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with the cool kids like you. Oh, you know please. what I mean? I yeah. want to be one of the cool kids. <laughs> Montego Glover, I love you so much. Thank you for doing our podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having Will me. Will you come back and do it again? Absolutely, anytime. Okay, bye. BroadwayCon the podcast is a partnership between BroadwayCon Media and Theater Podcast Productions. Episodes are produced, mixed, and edited by me, Patrick Hines. Just a reminder that tickets to BroadwayCon 2017 are now on sale. You can find information and tickets at broadwaycon.com. If you just can't wait till our next episode for your theater podcast fix, you can check out my other podcast. It's called Theater People. We do long-form interviews with Tony winners, Broadway legends, and today's brightest theater stars. You can find Theater People on iTunes, Google Play, or any place else that podcasts live. 
We'll be back in two weeks with Broadway understudies Ellen Marsh, Ben Cherry, and Mo Brady. We had a fascinating conversation about the work that understudies do, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Until then, we ask you to remember this. If you get really pissed and will cut someone slack When they call the cast album a friggin' soundtrack You're a